So, here we are for round two of the Book of Boba Fett discussion. I say round two, but you none of you guys were involved in round one. It was just mm. me, so it's more... We should have said episode two. That would be more apt. Or chapter two, as they call it, Book of Boba Fett. But still, um, the episode uh, in question, chapter two, and it's called The Tribes of Tatooine. So... I've got here some lovely people to chat with me about this. Uh, so let's start with someone who's not appeared on Comics in Motion before, which is Ben of Star Wars Timeline. Ben, please say hello, introduce yourself, and uh, tell us in brief what you thought of episode one. Hi, how are you guys? Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you on my podcast. Finally, I made an overture. I'm here, a guest of your podcast now. It's a pleasure to be here. To look, this whole new year started with quite a bang. Episode one left me just a little bit wanting. And honestly, my expectations very moderate, knowing John Favreau's, the showrunner's previous body of work. I knew what to expect. I said, well, you know, keep it moderate here. Take it episode by episode. So episode one left quite a bit to be desired. And of course, we're going to kick in. We're going to talk about this episode too. Things from that point forward started going uphill, fortunately. Mm. Very, very nice. Cool. Mm-hmm. And then moving on to Scott Weatherly. Same to you. Introduce yourself and brief thoughts on episode one. Yeah, Scott Weatherly, podcaster extraordinaire. I'm going to stick with that. That's going on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> 20th Century Geek, you know me. Um, yeah, no, episode one, I agree with Ben, actually. I, I went in, you know, not expecting much, and I'm glad I did. It felt a little flat, um, which was, you know, I wasn't so much disappointed as, as Ben started, okay, it'll, it'll creep up. Um, I definitely enjoyed episode two more, mm-hmm. but I was also disappointed more by this episode two as well. That sort of, I've got some thoughts. I have lots of thoughts, mm. but yeah, Good. we'll get into that. <laughs> oh, there's the cough I was warning people about. <laughs> I should have started the recording with that. Um, and then moving on to Jack. I should Jack, introduce yourself. Same questions to you. Yeah, evening, everybody. Um, Jack, Pop Griller. Not extraordinaire. I'm just going to go straight Pop Griller. Um <laughs> And uh, yeah, of the Comics Emotion Parish too. I mean, I'm just going to round it out. I mean, underwhelmed is probably how I felt after episode one. And maybe, unlike yourself, Ben and Scott, I think I maybe went in with two high expectations. Coming off, for, for, for me, Mandalorian. Mandalorian season one, episode one is a pretty perfect mm. first episode of a TV show. Mm. It's not a perfect episode of TV, but for a first episode. And I think comparing is a bad thing to do generally i know but i can't stop myself i suppose a little bit so yeah i i'm yet to be won over i would say mm, interesting mm-hmm. um i'm uh, basically in brief I, I mean i did a whole episode on this so i don't need to waffle i thought episode one was good it was a bit short i felt similarly i think to you guys i think it was one of those things where it was good but we kind of expected more it was a bit short and it felt like more of a prologue than anything more of just you know, that's kind of how I felt about it. But um, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, that, that's it's one of those things. Um, but it was cool, but I feel like almost they could have almost just done with only having the Sarlacc stuff and released that as like a 15 minute thing, like a week before Book of Boba Fett came out and mm. then had the full six episodes with the first mm-hmm. one being a bit longer or something. But we'll see. We'll see where this all goes. Um, so let's dive right into it then. So, episode two, um, as I mentioned, the tribes of Tatooine. So obviously there's, it's continuing with the sort of story of there's one ongoing storyline in Air Quotes Present, uh, which is about five years after the end of Return of the Jedi, set just after the Mandalorian. And then you've got the past. I mean, there is a minor flashback in this back to like Attack of the Clones days, but we'll glaze over that for the moment. Um, but yeah, then the previous thing was obviously when he escaped the Sarlacc and then was with the Tuscan Raiders and things, which was just after Return of the Jedi. Um, so if we start off then with, let's go for Scott this time. So Scott, just general thoughts then on on episode two and then we'll kind of turn it into a discussion and things but um if you want to kick us off i think you know what 
you mentioned that there's the two storylines. Mm. Uh, and to use a sort of a real British euphemism, this is definitely a game of two halves. Mm. Um, everything that's set in the present, and I, I don't know how this feel, but def- everything that's set in the present, as in what we're used to, you know, following the Mandalorian, is is so plodding <laughs> at the moment. Um, it clearly is building up to something, but like it's it sort of seems um, it's just moving at a very slow pace. And you know, you've got this sort of like as in the first episode where uh, Boba Fett is saying like, you know, I'm, I will rule with respect, and you're like, right, fine, rule with respect, but still going to earn that respect by kicking some ass. And so far, <laughs> like, I don't respect present day Boba Fett. I'm a little bit like, yeah. However, watching the other side of things, the stuff in the past. I'm all in on that. Like dances with Tuscan Raiders, I'm all in on. Mm. Like that's, you know, that whole thing, especially this episode. But like, you know, it was good last, but got better. This the whole thing with you know earning their respect and uh, the learning to the fight, and then the the train and all that kind of stuff was absolutely excellent. Like I really enjoyed all that. So it, it just feels bizarre how like I was losing interest in the first sort of 10, 15 minutes, and then it it, it peaked very quickly. But yeah, it's like two different shows. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting way of putting at it. And then, uh, Jack, do you have any thoughts from you? No, I, I agree. I agree completely. I'm not sure I'm well over by either part yet. Mm. I think Scott, the way you put it, it feels fairly plodding both mm. parts. Um, I like what they're doing with the enriching of the world with the the flashbacks. I I don't like the um, the way that we get to the flashbacks. It feels very cliche. This idea of you know he's going into his back to tank sleep pod and then. Oh, I'm having the dream. I don't know. Yeah, it feels like there could have been a better way to do that. But um, yeah, I think the enriching of the world is great. But even that is just not a lot is really happening. There's cool moments. I particularly like the end of episode two. We won't get into the detail of what that is. I liked how the episode ended. Um, but the train stuff just felt like a poor version of Mandalorian season one, episode two with... Um, the Jawa Sandcrawler, mm. Mandalorian trying to get stuff back, and th- this is why I'm trying, where I'm trying not to compare, but the show keeps kind of forcing me into it, and in that it's doing similar things and having similar beats. Mm. Yeah, that's a very interesting way. And then um, Ben, we'll go to your uh, thoughts, and then we'll kind of go bit by bit in the story. Mm. But yeah, Ben, your sort of thoughts in general of episode two as well. So I thought episode two was a vast improvement over the first one, and interestingly, it represents all the perks and faults of a television show, right? Because it's now, it feels and looks like, and reads visually like a collaborative effort. It's not one mm-hmm. vision. It's not mm-hmm. George Lucas or John Favreau. He's just a showrunner mm-hmm. who is obviously beefed up by major talents, these, you know, script writers and directors. And whenever we are in the present in the second episode in Boys Eisley, I feel it, it reeks of John Favreau's filmmaking style. I always stress as a trained animator, I always stress that there's a difference between story, the content of the episode of a movie and the way that it's told, the visual storytelling, which is a major, major art to to be able to elicit, evoke emotion, even on the most fundamental level from a moving picture is an art form. Mm. And unfortunately, there's a lot of recent quote unquote filmmakers are being hired because they're able to generate money. Right, they are able to attract people. They know the commercial is a part of it. It attracts people anyway. When we are in Mos Eisley, I feel like it's crafted by a film school student. 
Nothing clicks, mm. nothing connects. The the dialogue writing is very infantile. It's like, by the way, we're gonna go and talk to the mayor now. <laughs> like, how more obvious and and on the nose can you be? Mm. But from the point that we go to the past, right, and we're, we Boba Fett, we're experiencing his past part. It almost feels like it is an entirely different show filmed by different filmmakers because now we're able to slow down a little bit. And before we get to the older bells and whistles of the show and fireworks and all the explosions, we spent the time in this world. We experience culture. We experience storytelling through visual narration, not necessarily dialogue. And this is where I feel is not only the hardest soul of this particular show that's beginning to emerge. Now we're looking to something which I personally look for in the future uh, Star Wars endeavors is tell me a story. And all the action, all the fireworks, all the CGI should only reinforce it and work in service of the story. Mm. Yeah, very good point. And I'll just I'll put my two cents in here and then we'll get into kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll separate it between the past and the present. Otherwise, we'll get all muddled and things. Um, but yeah, I, I actually found, I did really enjoy the flashback parts, but I found that for me... It, the structure of it is a bit bizarre because it feels like, as you guys have kind of alluded to, it's kind of you know two halves of a show just kind of stuck together. And I'm kind of like, I don't know if I'd have rather just had, look, first two episodes are going to be flashback purely, and then we're going to mm. go into the start and just get on with it. <laughs> but I feel like the problem is they're trying to do now is, and this is something that Star Wars, especially in recent years, has struggled with, which is trying to appeal to everyone at once all at the same time so it's like okay you want boba fett you don't have to wait for the sarlacc stuff oh that's kind of cool oh also we're going to do this flashback thing okay and also we're doing the present day of this okay and then we're doing this little flashback of attack of the clones like I, what did that add to anything mm-hmm. oh but he's also in a back to tank flashbacking you have to know he's seeing this flashback we can't just tell you here's mm-hmm. a flashback x amount of years ago <laughs> so it's it's a weird it does feel a bit Kind of yeah. As you so, guys so, so, just to intercede on that because yeah, this go. whole th- this whole thing about having two running uh, timelines mm-hmm. irritates the hell out of me. Like, I, I I can't stand it in TV shows. Like mm-hmm. unless it's serving, a, I think you you know as Ben uses it's serving a purpose. If it serves the mystery, good example of this. And I'm not a great fan of the show, but is uh, Westworld. Mm, yeah. In the first season, they use that to really throw you off course because you're yeah. like okay well this this two how does these these meet what am mm-hmm. i seeing what don't i know you know you you're invested because you don't know something and you're solving a mystery as you go along with this as you said it's just going here's some information from now and here's some information from the past like they don't mm-hmm. there's nothing telling me that at this point there's nothing telling me that his actions with the tuscan raiders is influencing his time you know, trying to say takeover as being gang boss for this. There's nothing there to say, well, it's really, you know, the reason he's not killing people left, right and centre is because of what he learned in the field. Look, there's there's no mystery. There's nothing there. So why is it being told in this way, especially when you've had films and TV shows that have acted like a saga, where you could have just had, here's the stuff with the Tuscan Raiders, and then we're going to move on to how he met, um, you know, Finnick, and 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 then we're going to move on to him. But like, you could do that and do it as like a massive sweeping epic saga, but it just doesn't feel like that. Mm. Yeah, it does feel like it's losing its own acceleration a little bit. When it starts to get going, it kind of pulls back a bit. I found. Mm. Um, so if we if we delve into specifically, so Eckert's present day. Um, so obviously, you've got the elements where. I've got some notes here just to make sure I don't incorrectly say anything. <laughs> um, so we've got you know. They interrogate the assassin, uh, they threaten with the rancor, order of the night wind, that sort of thing. So with that part in mind where they're like interrogating the assassin and stuff, mm-hmm. sort of 
any sort of general thoughts on that? Uh, ben, do you want to go first on this one? Yeah, sure. That that scene, once again, it it reminded me of John Favreau's career. You know, it's I'm a huge fan of the original Iron Man film. It's it's one of the perfect origin stories. It has a lot of heart. It has a lot to tell beyond the scope of a comic booky story. That's like, mm-hmm. you know, the the international weapon mongering and you know and warfare. But from that point forward, like the jungle book, the Disney, these like heartless husks of filmmaking that's just there just to be slapped on the screen and for fans to go and pay and ticket admission prices to that. When you look at that scene, it's once again, you question Disney's uh, uh, motives here. It's like, who is hiring these showrunners? You're having this assassin sitting there, the Nightwind uh, Assassin Guild, right? And at first, they're hyping him up as somebody who is not to be trifled with. It's a clan that even Boba Fett should mark. They're dangerous people. But the robot is saying, and the next second, you flip the switch, they drop into the solid space, and he turns into this bitch who starts just spilling all the information. I'm like, you don't do this. It's, It's the elementary... Basics, and I don't profess to be any kind of like a filmmaking expert or a story expert of any sort or kind. But you know, once you start building that tension and momentum, you don't just wave the candy in front of us and just take it away. Kill this guy, make it make a show that oh my god, there's something to look forward to in this guild. These guys are dangerous. This guy didn't spill anything. He died for it. It's it's that kind of cinema that makes me wonder. Like, can't Disney hire somebody with more like higher profile? What's happening here? This felt to me like more less about um filmmaking ability mm. and more like neutering of an idea like they present you with this thing like you said they build up this assassin they're like yeah he's badass like you know these assassins of the night wind and you go oh that sounds awful and even like fennec, fennec says like you know that you're just buying the name like they've got this reputation and then they throw it and i was like this feels almost like a terry pratchett joke like th- is this going to be a satire on buying into a brand is disney actually going to have a, a jab mm. at itself nope it's it's just a joke like it, it yeah so it was like this felt like neutering of an idea and i was like oh man this is this could have been really yeah. interesting if it had gone into it um but yeah i totally agree that was a, an eye-rollingly bad moment where i was like oh it's just like this this assassin is a complete inept mm-hmm. and Jack- i think it's a shame because up until then and uh, this, there's a good and a bad about this. It's really pushing the nostalgia buttons. Like mm. Fennec walking in through the big gate was like, my God, that looks exactly like it looked in Jedi. Like I was like, transported back and like sitting in the throne room. And and then the payoff is the joke, isn't it? It's the rank. It's we need to get the rank and have that joke. Oh, I remember the rank. It was dangerous. And so that's where that is. There's that good nostalgia and the bad nostalgia. I think for me, the scenes in the modern day, uh, uh Trying to think, of how I'm going to has a word at best. I think at the moment of the two characters we've got in the modern day that we're focusing on most, Bob Fett and Fennec, Fennec is much more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the actress mm-hmm. has much more charisma, I think, on screen. Ming Na Wen, I think, you're drawn to look at her all the time, which is fine because she's a great actress and her character is perfectly interesting. But in a show called The Book of Boba Fett, that's that's a problem, I think. And whether that's the neutering of the character of Boba Fett, um, whether that's the performance of Timur Morrison, I don't think it is. I think he's a charismatic performer as well. It's the direction they're kind of pushing this character in at the moment. You're waiting for Fennec, for Fennec to do something dangerous and interesting whilst Boba sort of sits around not doing anything. Hmm. 
Yeah, there's like inconsistency with how the characters seem to prevent them uh, present themselves. It's kind of you know, as you guys kind of said, you know, it's like Boba Fett. He's going to rule with respect. Is he? Do has he done anything yet? In fact, in the first battle, we watched him get actually beaten, and he had to get mm-hmm. saved by Gamorrean guards. It's like we've never seen Gamorrean guards be anything apart from just force choked by Luke, and then in Mandalorian they were fighting in a ring. So you're like, these are just brutes that are mm. strong and stupid, and you got saved by them because you couldn't handle what six people or eight people along with Fennec Shand. It's a bit like you're not seeming like the fearsome bounty hunter the, you know, he's meant to be one of the greatest bounty hunters ever and one of the best mm. at current time. And it's like, you haven't really shown us this. And the times he's the most badass is the flashbacks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or in the Mandalorian. Yeah. The badass in the Mandalorian. Yeah, exactly. What, what were you going to say about that, Ben? Uh, I have to counter this one. Mm, uh, go ahead. I, I understand where you're coming from. And it actually kind of encompasses two points that mm. Scott made and, and yourself as well. I understand where Scott is coming from with saying that, look, these two parallel timelines running concurrently are not taking us anywhere yet. And I can understand this criticism within the scope of a show because we don't know, we don't have the benefit of seeing the the entire Mm -hmm. season, right? Obviously, what's going to happen in a few episodes, perhaps it is leading somewhere, but maybe this is not the best tactic or cinematic feat to employ in the show because, as we know, your uh, uh, neighboring or countryman uh, filmmaker, Guy Ritchie, notorious for parallel action, right? Where it has concurrently two different scenes mm. running in the film together to kind of like build momentum and attention to have like a clash of characters come together into one scene. This could amount to something, but um, Mike, what, what you were saying, please remind me, uh, just a point before this. Uh, it was where the fighting and things, that we feel like Boba Fett's not as strong. Right, the Bo- Boba Fett, right. And I think the reason that they're showing this parallel action is they're trying to get to the point faster because I, I think we, we need to remind ourselves of the same point. This dude just crawled out of Sarlacc's pit. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm reading the Legends books, obviously, which don't connect canon-wise into modern stuff. But, you know, he's this brutalized in that pit. He crawls out. He's literally in coma. He has Dengar, another bounty hunter, saving him. So it's kind of not a stretch to see where he's like... And he's an aging clone, right? So he's out there. He just put this armor on top of him, but he's like, he needs the help of these Gamorreans. He needs, he needs the help of Fennec Shen. Otherwise, why in the world would Boba Fett, who is not a bad guy, right, who's always up... He only looks after himself. Why would he have Fennec Shen by his side? Perhaps he needs her. Mm. He's you, not you, there yet. The thing, the thing I'll say is, because you, 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 you know, you, you're right. The, these storylines could be coming to a, you know a point, but you need to be at least dropping hints that there's a mystery to solve. Mm. Foreshadowing. Foreshad- yeah, you need to foreshadow mm-hmm. some reason as to why you're telling me these two parallel stories. And at the moment, I can't see it. Like, I've, if I've missed something, fine. But I, I don't mind them doing it when it's done well. But yeah. need to do something. And again, I think you know the thing you say about him getting his ass handed to him. The problem I sort of have with this again is this thing about in episode one, it was a good fight. Like I kind of enjoyed that fight. Like it was, I think it was uh, choreographed relatively well. It looked pretty good. I was like, yeah, fine. But then mainly because as you said, Jack, like Ming, um, no, well, <laughs> her running after the two guys and doing the sort of parkour across the roof. Mm. Like, was brilliant. I was like, that's fantastic. Not Boba Fett. But then the second episode, you know, they're, they're showing this guy who, um, ben, as you say, he's come out the Sarlacc pit, but like he's come out the Sarlacc pit, he's been in the desert, he's done all this stuff, yet he's still learning to fight, and he basically takes out a train. Mm. And then you're saying, but then like, yeah, but in a few, in even further in the future, after having gone into a healing uh pod, 
and he still can't look after like you know he still can't handle himself yet we've seen him take out a bunch of stormtroopers in the mandalorian it's so mm. like well what what is his problem at this point like is there a mystery to solve here as to why he can't fight someone i don't know am i missing something and that's the point like i feel like i'm missing something but it's not telling me that that's an intentional gap that is a mm-hmm. mystery that we're trying mm-hmm. to solve. Mm-hmm. And one thing, one issue as well is the difference between, because <laughs> um, I was saying to this to Megan when we were watching it, it was there's about five-ish years between uh, the flashbacks. I mean, I said, if you push it a stretch, you know, the timelines and you really shave time off the edges, three and a half years at the least, but it's probably near a four, four and a half years different. Mm. And you're just thinking... How long is he going to be with the Tuscan Raiders? Obviously, they're going to probably explain, you know, why he gets to Fennec and etc. But it's just like, he's with them for a very long time. And yet, in present day, he doesn't seem to be, you know, the ultimate Boba Fett. He actually seems to be a weaker Boba Fett than we've ever seen before, apart from Return of the Jedi, because that was, you know, <laughs> he got mm. wrecked then. Um, so I do kind of get those sort of criticisms. But if we move on slightly with um, the sort of second part of the uh, the present day stuff. So he meets the mayor. Um, who I found who's voiced by Robert Rodriguez, who's the director, which I thought mm-hmm. was quite cool. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's the Hut Twins. And then the one thing I want to flag up and add to this is the Black mm-hmm. Wookiee. Mm-hmm. Did you guys know, did you guys pick up who that was? Yeah, Dark you, or something. You, Yes, exactly. Yeah. So people, I, I didn't know. I didn't know the name, but I was like, "Oh, I've seen you in a comic." That yeah, was it's the Darth. Vader. <laughs> for, for any listeners, it's the uh, the Darth Vader 2015 run by Kieran Gillen that introduced. That's where Dr. I saw Afra. it when you and I yeah. talked about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, yeah. Yes. And and then um, in the Doctor Afra series from 2016, mm. um, continued by Kieran Gillen, he's like a main character in that. So he's mm. he's meant to be the whole Afra thing. For any listeners, is meant to be the antithesis of the original trilogy stuff. So Afra is the opposite of Han Solo. Black Cassandra is the opposite of Chewbacca, and then there's two droids opposite of R two three. I want to f- uh, throw that in there, but then so the thoughts with um, with the twins and the um, Ithorian mayor and then Black Chrysanthemum showing up. I thought once again it was interesting and I was enjoying it and I was like, oh this is this is going to go somewhere and then I just feel like it kind of it was like okay that there you go we've got a little bit of sprinkling here and now back to the flashback and I was like, oh maybe at the end of the flashback it's going to do something else with Black Chrysanthemum and all the twins. It's like no you have to wait till next episode and I'm like. I understand that it's serialized and we, you know, the point is to wait for the next episode, but I'm just finding that, as you guys have said, it's kind of, it's plodding a bit. I am enjoying it still, but I'm just like, it keeps, it's like a roller coaster that just keeps going, that is obviously going up and eventually we're going to get to the drop, but I'm just like, are we... I don't even know how, where we are in relation to anything. Um, so if I jump start with uh, Jack speaking first with this. So the uh, the Ithorian Mare, the Twins, Black Crescent, any of that sort of jazz, uh, what are your kind of thoughts on that part? And um, we'll talk about that before we go into the flashbacks again. Yeah, I mean, I had that little moment of like, oh, that's cool. That's Black Chrysanthemum. Mm. Um, I actually, ha- I've read the Kieran Gill and Darth Vader, but I've only just started reading the Afro comics. So it's mm. kind of perfect timing for me. I was like, oh, there he is. Um <laughs> So that was a nice nod, but again, it's that little little bit of like, is it just there for a nod? Is it, you know, what's is there an ultimate purpose? I'm not sure. I think I like the idea of the two huts coming in. That's quite fun. Um, if they prove to be like decent antagonists, I liked how they entered with the being carried by the, you know, all this like the slaves carrying them. That was a nice strong visual image, I thought. But I agree with you, Mike. It sort of it, it went to this point, and it, you know, on old school TV, it would feel like there's an advert. Mm. Right. And then we come back and we get the next part of that that moment. How is Boba Fett going to deal with this? But we, we're not, we're going back to the past and we're going to have to wait another whole week or another two weeks, depending on. So, yeah, I, I'm really split. I think I'm still slightly, I'm maybe different to all of you. I'm still slightly more drawn to the modern day or present day 
stuff than I am the past. I am as well, to be fair. Um, but only because of plot, I want to clarify. It's only because to cut in, yeah. sorry. It's just a flashback. We know how it's going to end. We know he's going to yeah. find Fennec Shand and he's going to eventually meet Mandalorian and then he's going to get to where he is today. So it's kind of like, it is interesting, the Tuscan culture, and I am interested by that. Mm. But, but we know where the plot's going, whereas mm-hmm. modern day, we don't. So that, that's yeah. not why I agree with you, Jack. I, I, think, you know, I think you're verbalizing what it is for me. I want to see that go somewhere. And we know that we're going to see a badass Boba Fett at some point. So I just want to kind of get there. Hmm. And Scott and uh, Ben, uh, your thoughts on this? I, I can't remember who... I'm trying to vaguely make it so that no one's first. going first all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. Uh, this is where the episode started picking up for me and being interesting. You know, I particularly view that isolated scene, which by itself had a very minuscule function. I, I feel like that particular story arc is just a setup in the scene. It's going to go somewhere. It's almost like Roots of a Tree. Mm-hmm. The show is going in several different directions. Which strings are they going to pick up on? We, we we have yet to see. But it started working for several reasons. I think I had the benefit of from that scene the most for somebody who absorbs a lot of Expanded Universe content. I can't imagine what the general audience mm-hmm. who watches the show is like. But for me, I just completed a short 60-second video on Alhata. I know a lot about hot culture, about the gunslingers, the young Han Solo novels, and so forth. When you look at this scene, it's such a nice, interesting pull from Star Wars Legends, where you have these now these two twins, which I uh, applauded the effect. They look absolutely mm. glorious, fantastic. Mm. And the visual aspect of Star Wars has always been one of its biggest core elements, right? How things look and feel. They come out there, they start basically securing their position, saying, no, 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 this is most idly. The huts control the space here. We are just a nobody, a bounty hunter. So there's a little friction happening there. When the, the croissant, croissant and the, the, the black Wookiee comes out, it was a bit underwhelming, but I wasn't disappointed because I knew they just, being a, a, a commercial product that this show is, they have to basically tie you in. They have to show, ooh, here's a little bit of sweet eye candy. Would wait for the next episode. I know what's happening here. This is not high art cinema. This is not, you know, the Westworld, uh, Scott, as you mentioned. I'm on season three right now. And it's blowing my mind every single moment that I watch it, every minute. I'm like, oh, I want more of this. You know, this is a different kind of entertainment. We have to remember that it's Disney plus logo slapped on it it's kid friendly it's family friendly so within the context of what this show is i felt that this scene worked it helped world build maybe Mm -hmm. not necessarily help this particular episode but just show us that these other parties involved i think the episode's name right the the families the tribes of of tatooine Mm -hmm. helped it a great deal because we're not getting into this disneyfied sort of neutered kid-friendly version of sopranos right we have the Mm -hmm. huts here we have the other clans which we're going to talk later about here for me it really worked both visually and with the promise of what comes next Mm. and then scott vinyl sort of thoughts on present day stuff yeah, no, I think that final scene is interesting. Like I say, it, it gave me that little nod of, oh, I know who that, I, I recognise that, you know, which I was, you know, kind of like. But you said that thing where he's confronted with the huts, you said about them being carried in. I like the visuals of that. You're right, Ben, it looks great. Like, you know, they've, they've clearly thrown the money up on the screen. The, th- the thing I'm sort of missing is, you, you mentioned the Sopranos, and that's a good, a good sort of um, note. One of the things is, like, you know, we keep saying about how Boba Fett feels neutered or restrained or whatever it is whenever you do that to a character and and, and this is going to go into another point but when you do that to a character that you know is badass 
you usually have like a sub character, which could be Fennec. It could be one of those guys going like, no, nah, man, not boss. You've got to kill him. You've got to do this. He's been like, no, there's a reason why I'm doing this. So, you know, mm-hmm. think, even in like Marvel, you know, like the comics, like you'll have like Kingpin will be holding back and you'll have Wesley going like, so you better kill this person. He's going, no, 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 I have a plan. Like, you know, there's a reason I am doing this. We don't know what that is. And so I just sort of feel like, you know, the, mm-hmm. the he, he says something, the huts go, well, you know, killing people is bad for business. More on this later, and then leaves, and I'm just like, <laughs> oh, all right, well, that's clearly resolved that issue. It it, it just felt like it, it sort of it just ended, um, and then we got to then we go to the future bit. But one of the things you you talk about that, um, the difference between this and um, Westworld, and the thing is, like, Westworld is definitely a much better way to get the show. I have my own thoughts on on uh, season three. You can find them on uh, Stories at Time and Space, but. <laughs> <laughs> But the, the, one of the points that this is, you know, you talk about this being closer to what the you know, disnification of things. It's pulp. This is pulp entertainment. Yeah. There's nothing else. It's great pulp time to use. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the, the, one of the key things about pulp entertainment is keeping you on your seat. So you need a cliffhanger. You know, that thing of like, it, it, even as ridiculous as sort of like, you know, Batman in an oversized mouse trap. Like, is he going to escape? But, you know, come back tomorrow to find out. I, this doesn't seem like it's got the Mandalorian did it well where like it would have episodes where like it complete the story but you're like oh, I've got to come back next week to really sort of you know see what's going to happen next this feels less like that like it's, it mm. wants to tell a story but I'm not quite sure it gets how to transition from section to section and that sort of so mm. it, it sort of just feels that like flat that bit flat when it hasn't got that pulpiness that I think it's missing but it's leaning into the pulpiness because it's giving you comic book characters Mm. You know, you get this badass Wookiee, so you're going, like, oh, no, that's definitely sort of like, you, you want, you're you wanting to elicit that reaction, but you're not quite sure you want to fully lean into it. And I think that's mm. where the sort of the disconnect is. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it is that thing where we're, we're, I think we're all somewhat cautious because it's that thing mm. of, you know, with the Marvel shows, especially this happened a lot um, and Star Wars, it happens quite a lot where it's like, you know, you predict and you're like, oh my God, is mm. this going to happen? This, you know, is Mephesto going to appear in WandaVision? No, he's not going to be probably in the yeah. MCU ever, maybe. And it's just like all these little bits. And it's just like, are they, as you guys have all kind of said, you know, are they putting these th- things in for fan service just to be like, hey, we need a Wookiee. We've got Black Chrysanthemum. Is he going to do anything? No, but he exists still. Don't you worry. And it's like, you can I buy him as an action figure. Yeah, it's like his new Hasbro Black Series action <laughs> figures coming out now. And it's like, you know, no people who. The comics is like the lowest amount consumed content in Star Wars. I love the comics, obviously. That's mm. why I've got a podcast about it. But it's generally movies, series, uh, books, slash games, comics. And mm. so it is that thing where it's like, as you guys have said, like I, I want to be like, yes, Black Chrysanthemum, he's amazing. When he came on screen, I was like, oh my god, he's going to be so cool. And they just stood there, and I was like, if he's, if that's all he's in, I'm going to mm. be livid. But I'm hoping they, I'm hoping what they do is they kind of, this is all. I'm hoping this is a bit too flat, and then the next few episodes are going to be phenomenal, and we're going to be like, okay, it was just a slow burn. They kind of had to get all this little stuff out of the way to have the big stuff, but we don't know if. We, we're all kind of I feel like we're all a little bit cautious we're all kind of like you know the water's a bit too hot a bit too cold we're just t- putting our foot in and we're like do we want to get in there yet are we sure is it for- <laughs> um, so if, if we move on then to sort of I think although I'm a bit more bought into modern day stuff I think the main part of this episode as Ben kind of said with the, the episode name specifically is about the Tuscan Raiders mm-hmm. and I really enjoy the culture of that I really like how they're so individual 
I quite mm. liked that, how you can, um, I've nicknamed them, it's called in the credits, the warrior and the chieftain and then the child, uh, or youngling or something of the Tuscans. But I always thought the warrior was more of a shaman. That's how it looked to me, but whatever. But I, I like how you can see them individually. You can actually see them different. And I like how they go into the fact that that tribe is slightly different to the other tribes. So it mm. does work in that sort of way. But there are so many parallels, so many cool elements of this. And I think we'll potentially in agreement that the train bit is arguably the least exciting part on the side of culture but the most exciting part of action so it's this weird balance of trying to be good story and action so delving into the flashback element who wants to go first because i've said my piece <laughs> and i i know you know two of, three of us here are british and ben's a very polite gentleman so everyone's a bit like i don't know if to go first or not. <laughs> i've got a bit of trepidation so um i'll point the gun ben start us off with the tuscan raider stuff so the flashbacks your thoughts on that and we'll all just kind of bounce off from there um i felt it was again by the ruler that we're measuring this particular shot i felt it was brilliant i don't expect the show to get much better than this okay uh this was where the episode felt the most centered and this is where i feel like this is the pinnacle in terms of balancing point where it's going to go either full-blown action or full-blown storytelling this is what i wanted since 2012. I don't want Skywalker saga. I don't want Luke Skywalker. I don't want legacy characters in their 60s parading in front of the screen. Like, look, this is still Star Wars. I want a fresh of something new, and it's not necessarily centered about guns blazing. And we got that finally. We got these tribal peoples. We have, obviously, the Maori culture, the real world culture being transplanted into a sci-fi show that works very organically, very well. I have a feeling that Tamara Morrison was somehow involved and kind of influenced Mm. this particular episode. You know, it's it's the beauty of a show where you get to sit down and spend time with these characters. Because my biggest criticism of Star Wars sequels, which I still enjoy viewing, is that J.J. Imbrams in particular, he's just he's working at this breakneck pace that just doesn't allow for room to sit down and breathe. When you look at A New Hope, which of all the Star Wars film, I think it's absolutely magnificently cut film. It is so well-paced. You get to spend time. You, you have a sense of who Lars Owen and, and, and Aunt Beru is from that short sequence that they have there. You have a sense of politics in uh, uh, Tarkin's, you know, that, that war room when he's talk, telling that the Senate has been disbanded by the Emperor. And this is what's happening with the Tusken Raiders here. We get to live with these people. We get to understand what they're like. It's not just there for visual flair, right? And the more that Disney starts orienting its future Star Wars entertainment in that direction, I think the better we all are going to be for it. Because this is the heart and soul of it all. Because, look, how many action sequences can they digest? For example, Marvel, DC Universe, which, you know, the the comic book era launched by the same Raimi Spider-Man films, and within 20 years, they've dominated the box office. How many of those CGI fests can you watch before you start losing interest? I've seen it all enough. It's not just a different skin. Now it's the Avengers or something else. Here, I want more. Like, hey, 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 who's this female? I always want her to take off that helmet to see who this is and breach that kind of like protocol that Tuskins never show their face. Now it pulls me as an adult. Now it's no longer just a child's play, a, a toy selling kind of like ad campaign. It's it's It picked my real interest and I liked it. And visually, the action scene, we get to it. We see him train these Tuscans to use the bikes and they strategically advance on this train. They take pass shots, blah, blah, all the elements. You guys have seen the whole thing, but to make the story, uh, long story short, it has such a kinetic, powerful feel to it 
with the bits of humor sprinkled in there that worked really well within the Western genre, right? That, that, that particular context, the heist, immaculately done. I don't expect the show to get much higher than this. Very interesting. Okay, and uh, Jack, what are your sort of thoughts? I'm split. I, I like what you're saying there, Ben. I really like, I really like learning about the, the Sand People and their culture. Um, the Tuscan Raiders. I think didn't you say last episode Sand People is a derogatory term? I shouldn't be using that one, should I? <laughs> I, I didn't say that. I, we think yeah. in, in universe it might be, but sure. Luke said it, and he's the hero of Star Wars. So <laughs> I would um, I rate you for it. Yeah, but you didn't know what he was saying about Lando behind his back. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <that's an issue. laughs> yeah, I love that law, and I think the deepening of them as as a species is fascinating. I was a little bit underwhelmed, if I'm honest, by the train sequence. I feel like I've seen that in other things lots of times before, done done a bit better. I thought it was okay. I thought it was a perfectly fine sequence. I think I got really stuck, and this happens with me sometimes, where it, I couldn't work out why they were... You know, I know they're a transport. That's fine. I get that. But then why they felt the need to antagonize the Tuscan Raiders and shoot them and kill them. And like, I get maybe it's just for sport or what, but I couldn't work out what the relationship was yeah, between no, the train it, and the Tuscans. And that just, it was really a drop line. It was bothered a, me. Yeah. There's a drop line at the very end where it's when, uh, Boba Fett sort of confronts, mm. um, uh, the fish headed bloke, the pikes. the pikes. That's it. Yeah. P- yeah. I couldn't even think of it like pikes. It's a fish head. Yeah. <laughs> but like he, he says to me, he says, you know what? And he says, well, we just thought they were raiders. And we were literally said, it's almost like they were going on, an offensive defense you know they're like well if we start shooting they wouldn't get near the train fine okay I must have missed and that's it, yeah. it. so that's literally and it. they're animals yeah he, he saw them mm. as savages and like you know as you, ben as you said it's a western trope isn't it it's that thing of mm. this is the carriage going through um you know across yeah. the plains and mm-hmm. it sort of it sees some you know indigenous people on horseback and on the man so that right open fire straight away because the closer they get the more threat we are that that was it Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, you, there's a bit of a drop line about that, but it's not. It, it took me. I had to sort of double check that because I watched it and went back and I checked the side checked it actually. Yeah, well, okay, that does clear up a little bit because I don't know. I don't know if you guys this, but I just got a little bit stuck there and it wouldn't go out of my head. I think of the two scenes, I probably preferred the Toshi Station, which I didn't know was Toshi, Toshi Station until I was preparing for tonight. But um, I think I probably preferred that scene. I quite like the intimate nature of it and that kind of, again, that playing on that trip of like the biker bar and him coming mm, in and cleaning yeah. up the town. And mm-hmm. um, I thought that was really nicely handled, that scene. Cool. Nice. Okay. Oh, awesome. And uh, so with it, so, <clears throat> I mean, I did enjoy um, the, the scene, but yeah, I'm kind of in line with you guys. I thought the cultural aspect was interesting, even if mm-hmm. it was a little bit slow. And then the big action set pieces, you guys have said, uh, we've seen quite a few times before, even as I think Jack said earlier, it was like the, in the Mandalorian itself, mm. there's actually a scene very similar to this anyway. Um, well, like, you so, know, the Wolverine movie when he's on top of the, the bullet train or like, Solo. Just staying in these, uh, Solo, staying in these kind of worlds that we're talking about already, it's been done quite a few times before, let alone the Western tropes, which it's, it's harkening back to. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is a bit, it, it was one of those things where it, it didn't, it didn't uh, get rid of my interest, but it didn't heighten it. It just kind of, mm-hmm. it was neutral. I was like, uh, and then I was just this, just for ages, just like neutral. But what I will say is, and I think Jackie mentioned this slightly earlier, actually, like earlier on, which is the very, very end scene. I know I'm jumping mm-hmm. a little bit, 
But when he's he get he goes on the you know has that crazy lizard thing, which I thought was really cool. I thought he was going to eat mm. it because I know I know in um in other places in Tatooine they've got the the fried lizard things, but I can't remember if I'm mixing up my franchises. But I've seen people eat lizards, I think, in Star Wars, maybe. Um, but then when he jumped <laughs> on his nose and he had that crazy spirit thing, I thought I thought the way the visuals of that um of that spirit vision thing was really well done. Uh, not to delve into my personal life too much, but that's fairly accurate to certain substances <laughs> that are available so it's one of those because sometimes you see a film when they take a small amount of drugs and then everything completely goes absolutely bananas and nothing makes any sense and you're just like i don't know what's happening i don't know if i'm meant to know what's happening but in that i found like it was you could tell it was like a psychedelic trip of some sort but it was mm-hmm. just lucid enough you could follow it and i like the imagery i like that you know when he got the branch i was like <gasps> He's going to make his uh, Gaddafi stick, which I'm now saying it as well, because I got pulled up on that in the last one. Almost sounds like I'm saying, you know, uh, Gaddafi, the <laughs> dictator. <laughs> Not that. Uh, these sticks were about before that became a, a big thing. But I, I really liked that scene, and I quite liked the part, obviously, what Ben was saying about in the other scenes, where they took their time with the end. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciated that. I really liked the fact that when he's carving the stick, and he's doing all this, and they put it in the fire... I really liked that bit, and that's where they basically ended it. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's... Instead of it being, oh, now he's going to fight someone really quick. No, it's like, no, this is the end. You, you get to see him make his stick thing. And it's like, I thought that was really cool. So I, I didn't mm-hmm. know if uh, you guys had some specific thoughts on that sort of... That scene in particular. Well, just to go, because I'll give my thoughts on the, the second half, the whole thing. I agree that, that, that the opening bit of, of him integrating... Um, with the tribe and all mm. those sorts of things. The only thing is, and maybe this is because I've what I'm watching quite a lot of westerns of late, uh, <laughs> for other reasons, uh, is like this just felt like I called it dancing with Tuscan Raiders earlier on, but this was so sort of like that trope of um outsider becomes part of, you know, mm. like like anything from like say um Dance with the Wolves, John Carter of Mars, um there's all these like Hey, Avatar, Pocahontas. Avatar, like, that's a good yeah, Avatar is the most Avatar. recent one, probably. This idea of sort of like the outsider sort of integrating with the tribe and not, not, not so much becoming the saviour, but then becoming, um, you know, a, a leader among them or a sort of a warrior. So that it, it wasn't new. It wasn't, it was, mo- it was so clear. It was very cliche filled you know, at points, especially that point when he has the trip. I mean, I quite like the idea that, that you know, Tamara Morrison is actually quite funny. Like he's actually quite a funny guy. Uh-huh. So when it when the thing crawls up his nose and he's like, <laughs> "Sorry, I think I swallowed it." Like you know, it was he was he's actually quite funny. Which I'm like, this is Boba Fett. Like I did, this isn't the Boba Fett I saw in the film, but I'm I'm enjoying that. But I'm like, oh yeah, of course you're going to have a mystic trip for you to be able to integrate with the tribe, and it, it's all that. It, it, it's it's fine. It's done very well. I think the visuals in it are, are very good. You know, because they refer to it as the ocean, don't they? And sort of like they said about the oceans drying up, and there's this thing of like sand becoming water as it comes towards the trees and stuff. I thought it was really well done. But it, and then he comes back with this branch, and it's like you have now become a man, or you are now a Tuscan raider. And it's like, yeah, seen before. I know what's coming. You're going to integrate with the tribe, and something is going to tear you away from this tribe. Like you're going to have this thing of like you you are now you know you, you are becoming close with this kid this youngling like you know you are going to become his mentor or whatever, and it's going to be some sort of like decision that's going to be made for you to lead the tribe. Like, mm-hmm. and this is where I'm sort of like you know I get that Boba Fett. Like, but thing that what what's annoying me is or frustrating me is we've had these Western tribes. Like we were we were we praised the, well I did at least the Mandalorian. 
for taking Western and, uh, you know, uh, Asian samurai tropes and inserting them into a sci-fi uh, you know, which has been done before, but it's just the way it was done. It was done with a certain panache and just enough sprinkling for you to go, that's it. This is a bit more like I'm basically watching a Western, mm. <laughs> but it's Boba Fett. And I'm like, yeah, it, it, it's good. And the visuals are good. And I actually do enjoy it more than the present day stuff, but I'm still watching this and going like, there's nothing new here. There's nothing there's nothing that's excited me to the extent of, like, you know, oh, I want to see more. Like, there's a mystery to solve, and there's something to do. It's like, I know what's coming. Mm. Like, you know, I will watch the next episode, and I'm pretty sure I can probably guess thing that's going to come happen. You know, it's going to happen. So it's it's good. Um, the train um, bit was fine. Again, I think I think even in TV shows, we've seen action filmed better. There's a bit when you said about the, the guy who's the shaman or the warrior or whatever, and he he, he jumps on the train. And that bit was quite cool. He crashes the bike into the train to get on it. And then he disappears through a window, and you just see people getting thrown out, and it shows you that side view. Mm. But it's so dark in the train. It's like, pointless shot. I couldn't see much. That was pointless. Like, it, 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 you know, so there was a few bits like that. But then it pays off by having, as you said, this thing of like, I'm connecting with the characters because when he does have his um, his golf club hockey stick thing and he does carve it and it's like, you know, they've got that station and it's very ceremonial and it's all coming together. I'm loving the fact that he is connecting with this tribe and it's, you know, Tamara Morrison is given a really good performance throughout all this. And um, I also felt like you said, you can, not quite emotion. They can't emote because you can't see their faces. But they're giving simple gestures to the to the raiders for you to be able to see who the relationships. As you said, you could def- mm-hmm. you you know who each it's of them minimal. are. Minimal, yeah, yeah. But you know who each of them are. So it's done really well, but it's still not new. So I'm still a bit like I'm not. I'm preferring it, but I'm still not 100 bought in. Mm-hmm. Ben. Uh, I'm here. I want to hear what Jack has to say because I have a few points about that. <laughs> okay, no worries. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I'm, I'm worried what's coming now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought that moment when the lizard went up his nose was great. That was a real like, whoa, hang on a minute. Um, just that specific like sudden shock was really fun. I, I don't know if I can add really anything to what you said, Scott. That was really like. Um, mm-hmm really detailed and i think i think you've really hit all all the notes and all the points there i think the very final kind of once they're coming together and they're doing like the kind of tribal dance around the fire that was really powerful i thought mm. uh, i know you just said like it's not quite emotion emotion from the characters that's the only f- bit really so far in the two episodes when i felt any kind of stirring within myself i was like oh actually mm. like that's getting me going a little bit i really liked that so i think that bit was handled really well and as we slowly panned out and we saw like the the circles concentric circles going in different directions and stuff Mm -hmm. i thought that was a really nice moment to end the episode on um i don't think i need an awful lot more of that if i'm honest i think that's kind of i'm kind of done with that passage now like he's part of the gang all right um i think i would quite happily have quite a big time jump from that now and see see where we'd go a bit later on i think um we need to start because I mean, what is a six episodes, eight episodes, mm, seven, seven. Okay. In the middle. <laughs> yeah. so we need to see it start like linking up with what, as you said, Mike, what we know where it's going to go. We need to start seeing that happening fairly mm. soon, I think. Mm. Yeah. And just before we let Ben come in and uh, give, give his opinions, I will say here as well, what I like is I know it was introduced in the Mandalorian 
Um, but I really like the Tuscan Raider language being a cross between mm. vocals and also sign language. And it's something weird that there's a slight caveat, a caveat, slight tangent. But what I've noticed, I don't know why in the last two years, I'm happy about it because representation, etc. But I like how sign language is becoming a lot more common. You've had it, mm. um, you know, you've got um, Echo in mm-hmm. Hawkeye. You've got one of the characters in Eternals, uh, the super mm-hmm. fast one. She had that as well. And although the Tusk Mandalorian was, you know, predates those things. Uh, and I assume the Tuscan Raiders potentially in Legends or something maybe communicated like that. I'll turn to you for Ben for that. But I do like that element, and I just think it adds another layer rather than, hey, here's some more aliens that just say stuff and there's subtitles. I like how there's a lot of the time they're doing these things and there's no subtitles, and you've got Boba Fett trying to work out. Mm. And obviously, with the hand gestures being the way they are, you can generally get where they're going. And I like how from episode one and two, you're you're kind of learning with Boba Fett. Obviously, mm-hmm. he does speak when he's doing it, so it gives you that little extra edge. But I do like the way they show the communication, and I, I like the the minimalist side of things. Because although I like hearing alien language with uh, subtitles, I quite like... Sometimes I like it more, and you get it in certain other action films where you've got... Normally, if it's a martial arts film, it's someone who's from Asia who's speaking, and they've got a dialogue, but there's no subtitles, so you don't know what they're saying. You mm-hmm. have to pick up from their actions and how the other characters respond to them, and I really like that element of it. Um, but yeah, just wanted to throw that in there. Ben, throw us... Go on. No, that's an excellent point. First, I want to touch on what you just said. I didn't even feel like that particular sign language was a part of the, you know, inclusivity agenda. I love, love and appreciate being inclusive and being modern and looking at things progressively. But I don't like these uh, uh, social justice issues and ideas being shoved down my throat. You know, Mm -hmm. the way that the Marvel uh, Facebook uh, page has uh, announced Right, a part of their High Republic Star Wars comic books that they have these two binary uh, transgender Jedi twins, and the way that it was done, I just felt was so tone, tone deaf and so on the nose. Like, look, we're not idiots. Adult people who are fairly well educated—they're all we are all are up for progressive ideas. This is what civilization means. All of us together, right? And and when you knock it over our heads, like so, so blatantly I, I become a little bit irritated here i think it was very effectively done because i didn't even think of this in those terms mm-hmm. it made perfect sense because when you're surviving in the desert and you have this rough peoples right make total sense why the kids would beat up on him and being brutal to him because that's how they survive john carter of mars scott i think you've mentioned mm-hmm. before i'm a huge fan of those books and it's so representative of that this is what the environment is like like it or hate it and when boba fett starts using language the sign language it adds to the culture, it adds to the show, it doesn't take you out of the experience. As far as Boba Fett goes and his his character sort of, for me personally, emerging or starting being molded by that particular dance scene and choreography and interacting with the Tuscan culture, I'm going to say something that's borderline blasphemous here to Star Wars fans. You know, <laughs> when I was growing up as a kid in, in the 80s, with the Star Wars original trilogy, my pops brought it in the VHS tapes, the stupid Russian voiceover dub because they didn't have access to legal <laughs> tapes, right? So it was like one voice actor synchronously, like just oh, rubbing wow. it on the go. <laughs> Who was Boba Fett? He's a nobody. He's just some dude standing there for a few seconds. He didn't even have voiceovers in the original unaltered versions of the films, right? Those of us who are diners always remembered. And then Han Solo, who Boba Fett, who? Boom. And he's in the Starlight Pit and he's dead. 
when I start learning about him in the legends and comic books, once again, he's a boring ass character because he's basically the Batman of Star Wars. He's untouchable. He's a strategy on top of a strategy. He knows how to smart you have to kill everybody. And yet we know nothing about his motivation, what drives him, what makes him as a person in the older legends pre Star Wars prequel content. I want to specify there. He's just he's just this brute. And the only motivation he has is money and he has power and he can kick anybody's ass. Clone Wars humanized him, especially the Clone Wars show. Fantastically so. Now he has this father figure. He has grievances with the Republic. He sees how the, the underworld operates. He knows that the Jedi and this glorious Republic, what it stood for. He feels slighted. He, we know where he's coming from. And this particular episode of him, this uh, second half of the episode where you see him interacting, his personality emerges. Once again, he is not just this ass kicker, this faceless, you know, uh, uh, master chief from Halo games, which just has this helmet on top and there is no story to him. He's just there participating in it. All of it worked so well for me. Once again, I want to see a little bit more of that. As far as that vision quest goes and the going native aspects of it works to the strengths of the show. I, I really enjoyed that kind of like quiet visual symbology of things, right? Because Joseph Campbell's and his monomyth, he always addressed Star Wars and said that a lot of it is very strong and resonant with the audience because it has a lot of symbolic features in it. And that's what the tree was. And that I felt, I, I know that a lot of modern fans watching the second episode criticized the Clone War era segments spliced into the film and they they feel that it's a little bit tacked on and it's very fan service i didn't feel that at all mm. i felt that it hooks onto something that is the most vital and essential to boba fett in the clone in a, a prequel era the clone movies and uh, attack of the clones tv show it takes all the best aspects of it and just seeing that just for a split second that little boy staring outside of that window as a the slave one is leaving camino i was like oh man even that tiny detail to me speaks volumes more over something with like cheap dialogue in the beginning of episodes like we must go to the building and talk to the mayor. You know, it's this is what I, I absolutely relish as, a, as a, somebody who studied film. Sometimes one effective tiny scene like that or when he's approaching the tree, what could it mean? A lot of fans are interpreting that these are branching pathways that Boba Fett will take from this point forward. Wow, that's an interesting way of looking at it. The way I see it, Jack will see it differently from Scott to Mike. And that's what the power of visual storytelling is about. Mm, very, very well put. Yeah. And it says, I think, obviously, you said it there, Ben. I think Scott mentioned it earlier as well. And I want to um, put the name to it, which is the visuals of the ocean. The Tuscan Raiders refer to it as the ocean. It's the Dune Sea is the specific mm -hmm. terminology mm -hmm. in, in the um, in-universe. I mean, I think we've tackled a lot of ground here and things. So uh, I want to open the floor up just to see, is there anyone who's got any sort of uh, final thoughts before we sort, sort of wrap up here about this episode in particular? I Wonderful. do wonder if we're being sucked in to have... Uh, that's a, No, now I'm getting my words mixed up. I don't know if we're being drawn in for a sucker punch. I do wonder if we're going to see a big betrayal at some point mm. of this Tuscan Raider group by Boba Fett. And this is perhaps why he's like giving up violence or I, I don't know. It feels like there's feels like there's darkness coming in the future. I don't know if that's mm. just me, but yeah, I have something to do with the kid. I think it's something to do with the kid. I think Boba Fett's going to be holding that kid in his arms dead. And I think it's either, it could be what you're saying, Jack, where it's going to be his fault or maybe it's that he 
did something wrong because maybe it's gonna be like they're attacked by another tribe and then he kills a member of that tribe and then in mm. retaliation that tribe mm. then kill all of those tribe members and then he's left there going death just leads to more death and mm. Mm. maybe that's the kind of way as kind of we've all somewhat alluded to in different ways is that sort of thing where you know where we need to know where the flashbacks are connecting to the modern era mm-hmm. and where there's like a five issue gap obviously star wars don't often explicitly say two years later three years later they don't generally like to do that very much. It's more when you look online and stuff, they've got like reference points and things. But I, I am hoping that I think if we wrap up with what we kind of want for the rest of the series, so I'll just say that I think I'm in alignment with, I think what you said, Jack, which is I want the next episode to basically be the wrapping up of the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. I, I want, you know, I wouldn't even mind if there's, if it's primarily flashback again in that episode, that would be okay with me. But I just, what I don't want to happen is we get to episode six and we're still mm-hmm. having flashbacks mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I don't, Although I appreciate the Tuscan culture and I really enjoy what I've seen so far, I, I don't need, I don't know how much more they can add in. Like there's, mm-hmm. they've already added a bit. Cool. We've seen, you know, their, their creatures, we've seen their kids, we've seen there's varieties in them, maybe under their mask, but I kind of feel like that takes away some of the mystery. So maybe I want them to n- not do that actually. But like, I don't know how more 20, 30, maybe even 40 minutes we could have any more to add rather than just being recycled tropes. So for me, I want, a little bit more Tuscan stuff, kind of wrap it up and get going where we can just be like, here, here's a 50 minute episode. It's all set in present day. Let's have story. Let's have action. Let's have story. Let's kind of wrap it all up together without it being a bit disjointed. That's what mm-hmm. I kind of personally want uh, from the And no Luke board. Skywalker cameos, please. <laughs> I don't want to see that. I did not like that at all in The Mandalorian. I don't want to mm. see anything thrown out there for the sake of like, oh, you were angry with the rise of the Skywalker? Let us give you something that you will definitely enjoy but we're not going to tell you who it's going to be it could possibly be Plokun but no we're going to give you deep fake Luke Skywalker with Mark <laughs> Hamill's voice acting over it please don't do that <laughs> we, we've had many just me and Ben have had many discussions on that I mean I personally loved uh, Luke coming into it although I do understand the point Sorry, I'm kind Mike. of like no, it's okay we, we have different opinions that's fine <laughs> but it's one of those things where I, I like Luke being in it but I'm kind of that thing about that was amazing and let's let that be amazing and leave it it's got to be a British thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just want, like, I, I don't want there to be pointless fan service cameos. You know, mm. Black Crescent is fine because if he actually adds the story, does something, because he's such a small character, it probably won't really offend anyone, but he's involved enough the people who have read the comics like oh cool you know i like it when styles do that i like it when they go oh look, we need a character who has these characteristics or is this species to do this one thing who's alive at this time oh well there's a character we haven't used for years yeah. who's been in these comics he hasn't done anything we've got no plans for him why don't we just pop him in there and i like that because that's one of the things i love so much about star wars and reading the comics but what i don't want is just to be like Right, uh, we get to the end of Book of Boba Fett. Who do we bring in? Well, should we bring in Ahsoka? Yeah, we've got the Ahsoka series coming up soon. Why don't we bring her in it? And then mm. that will kind of move into the Ahsoka series. And then the Ahsoka series will have, you know, someone else pop into it and that will lean into the other one. And let's, I don't want that. I want the series to stand by themselves in their strength. And then, but I also would like it that not necessarily Book of Boba Fett, but all the other ones that are coming out, they're all going to connect and basically make another heir to the Empire, undoubtedly with Thrawn and all that sort of stuff. But that's kind of what I want from it. So um, with that, guys, what do we want going forward? So if I start with you, Scott? Yeah, um, I actually 100% agree with Ben. I don't want any cameos in this. It's, mm. it's you know, I, I was fine with the Luke thing. It was, it was fine for what it was. I think it was it was it was definitely fan servicey. I've seen rumors online that like Han Solo's got to appear in the Boba Fett. Like, oh, no, God. no, he doesn't. 
It, it bloody doesn't. So leave it alone. Stop it. I really hope um, it doesn't. So yeah, I, I, I'm the same. I really don't need to see it. I don't care. I just want it to be its own thing. Let it continue. What do I want from it? I, I actually, I, I want to care about the modern day stuff. Mm. I really do. I want it to be uh, critical to what's, you know, I want there to be an objective. Um, and I, I think, you know, you talk about the betrayal uh, from, from the Tuscan Raiders or the darkness coming from that side. I want some of that in the future bit. <laughs> like, give me some actual tension instead of Boba Fett basically walking around town going, like, I'm the boss now, and everyone going, all right, <laughs> mm. <laughs> do what you want, all right. Like, it, it doesn't feel like there's any tension there, but I, I agree. Like, the flashbacks have been really good, but I don't want them to overshadow the future bit. I want them to be more... Um, I'm hoping there's a leaning into the future. And as you say, I'm hoping there's like a, an end point. And if it's, what, six, seven episodes? Episode three is a good point, isn't it? You bring them to a mm-hmm. close, you give that milestone point, and then you build off that for the future. I'm hoping that's what we get. And then the last four episodes are this sort of like building of story and tension and world building into this sort of future bit. Um, my big concern is that they are seeing this as a... Because it's Boba Fett and it's a you know it's a commercial IP that they're building to like, oh, no, we're going to have multiple seasons of, you know, the book of Boba Fett. And you're like, okay, so I don't want them to be... I don't want them to hold back. I want this to be a, a complete story. Like, they, they can have multiple seasons, but at least, like, close the story off at the end of this. Like, this is the closing of this chapter or this saga and mm-hmm. then move on to the next bit. That's what I'm hoping for. Something, some clean storytelling towards the end. Yeah, and um, I'll go to you, Jack, next, but I just want to quickly add Mm. to what you said, uh, Scott, which was just, um, with the book of Boba Fett, I think if they did do a series two, I I would want them to be like, we're not going to do it for a while. It's going to be right, that's the full stop. Here's the end of the story. In a few years, at some point, we'll announce there's going to be another series because the the, the story of Boba Fett has got a bit more to it. That's it. I don't Mm -hmm. want it to be... Tune in next year to find out what happened. It's like, oh fuck off! Yeah. I don't, I don't want that. I just, and the problem I'm worried about a little bit is with Mandalorian. Like, I really enjoyed Mandalorian. Um, I thought Mandalorian series two completely eclipsed series one. I thought series one was really good. I enjoyed it. I didn't like it as much as everyone else did. I generally still think that Star Wars Rebels is better in almost every way, apart from probably maybe Series 1 of Star Wars Rebels. And I think Clone Wars has some much higher points than Mandalorian Series 1. Although I did enjoy it, it was fun seeing it. For me personally, a lot of it was the novelty of seeing badass, modern, live-action Star Wars in a series Mm. that wasn't the sequel trilogy. So Mm -hmm. for me, it was like... a little bit like that but series two really delivered for me so i want i as scott said i don't want them to hold back i don't want them to be like hey yeah we're saving all these cool things for when you tune in next time because it's that's how i describe it as the ea model for video games which is you want to what you don't want to do is what ea do ea release an incomplete game and they make you pay for the downloadable Mm. content to finish the story and i don't want them doing that with series where they go this story's not finished but you've got to watch this series and this series and this series and then this one and they're all finished together so no no i I understand it's over so to say that, just to finish up, because you make a really good point about that, because that's, that's like, yeah, I just want them to complete it. But one thing is, I want them to pay off the um, tease that we got at the end of The Mandalorian. Hmm. The, you, know, you know, when he sat on that, it was like a couple of seconds, it was just mm-hmm. Boba Fett and Fennec sort of sat in uh, Jabba the Hutt's throne room and it had that really ominous music and it was like the book of Boba Fett and you were like this is going to be like you know some gangster um, you know whatever it's going to be that just give me the promise of what that was (laughs) 
That's mm. what I want. Very good. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. So then, Jack. Sorry, I was rambling for ages then. Sorry. <laughs> I was entranced. It was fine. Um, well, I mean, it's called The Book of Boba Fett, right? So one mm. would assume with that title, you know, a book has a natural place where it stops. Even if it's designed as part of a trilogy or, you know, an ongoing saga, you will get to yeah. end of a story. So let's hope we do. I think I'm just in line with you guys. I want that the modern day stuff. I want that more and more. And I want that to go somewhere. I'm not sure yet where I want that to go. Because, I mean, the models we've been talking about, Sopranos, got, um, we haven't, but, you know, Godfather comes to mind. This idea of this kind of, like, powerful figure sitting on a throne, I guess, do tend to be a little bit inactive and they let their kind of soldiers do the work for them. So maybe there's a little bit of a flaw in the core concept here and that Boba's the one that's sitting on the throne. I'm not I'm not sure. Um, in terms of other characters I think I think your guys are right I mean for me yeah I, I did have a bit of a weak moment for Luke if I'm honest when he came in oh I did as well to clarify um, it was only after the fact after a while of thinking about it I was like yeah. you know what but at the moment I was like oh my god <laughs> yeah sure I think um, Dan mentioned it in your last episode I'd love to see Cobb Vanth come back in because he's still mm. kicking around a Tatooine yeah. he's a fascinating character for the little snippets we've seen of him in the books and of course he's played by Timothy Oliphant who is Gorgeous. Uh, devilishly handsome, charismatic figure on screen um, in two of my favourite shows of all time. So why not add him into more content where I can keep uh, enjoying him being on screen in front of me? <laughs> so yeah, I, I think we need some, we need some, not action in terms of like fight scenes and stuff, but we need some action in the future where like there's some jeopardy and some threat. I think mm. you're right, Scott. It's kind of like posturing at the moment other than that one fight scene which never really went anywhere. Um, so we need to see see some full momentum in that. Mm. Nice. And then Ben, to you for the penultimate part of this conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, I take it all in stride. I always go in cold with all new Star Wars because when with the promise of The Force Awakens in 2012, we're going to get new movies. I desperately need it to be the greatest movie ever filmed. It didn't turn out to be. It turned out something that I enjoy, but you know, the sequels or the prequels. I don't believe any Star Wars content has risen to the potential of the original trilogy, except for the animated shows. I, I was completely blown away by the Clone Wars, by Rebels, and now the Bad Batch has just swept me away. Every episode, I just like I ate it all up, and I think. The best experience I personally have is when I go in without any expectations, even within the frame of this one seven-episode show. I don't know or need to ask myself what I want from it. If it ends up on a cliffhanger that was suspenseful enough with more opportunities with a different you know, uh, new season and somehow either de-aged Harrison's Ford uh, character or the new um, uh, cast member, the Aldrin, what's his name? Um, Aldrin Ehrenreich? Emerson, mm. yeah, it, his name. I'm sorry, I'm mispronouncing it. If the, if it's him, regardless what what the moving pieces are, all I care about is a good story. And I don't expect from Disney Plus and Disney era Star Wars to be phenomenal high art cinema like Stanley Kubrick level. Let let's wait and see where it gets. You know, it's I adore the X Men franchise, predominantly just stellar films all across. You know, some had their faults here and there, but overall. And it took that franchise nearly 20 years to create Logan. A serious, serious film advertised as an actionaire. And when you saw it in theaters, like, what the fuck am I looking at? 
I mean, you said one initial scene. It's like I had friends who sat there in the movie theater with me who have no idea what X-Men are. And that first scene where we're like drunk Logan is sitting in the back of a car and he's fighting these brute guys and like chopping arms off. And there's so much story and tension and, and they were glued to the screen. You know, it's I believe I'm being an optimist that I am. I believe we will get to that point in Star Wars where there'll be one hidden gem that emerges at one point. And as a matter of fact, we already had it. I was blown away by Star Wars Rebels. Such a fantastic show. When you come into something with, with without the list of demands, I like to call it, because Star Wars fans, they need to think certain way. You know, we pay for this. I have not talked to more privileged bunch of people than Star Wars fans. We need this. Uh, Ryan Johnson ruined it because Luke Skywalker is not the way that... Easy, you know, achieve your inner Zen. Like I had these, you know, in the beginning, <laughs> meditate, take it easy, t- take a chill pill, and whatever the future Star Wars may present, you'll pick it apart and say, Well, this episode worked here, like this part here. I don't like it. You know, I don't expect Star Wars to ever be on the level of uh, Westworld, whatever yeah. comes. You know, uh, to me, I, I, one last point I like to make is that as much as I enjoy video games and, and cinema, uh, book reading is where it's at for me. My, my father has instilled reading in me since childhood and there's no even familiar interaction with a story like a book where you create the world that the author presents to you and you read between the lines and right now i i honestly feel that what the star wars is doing right now in terms of novels especially adult novels is knocking it out of the park i mean it's just as good if not better than star wars legends especially these high republic stuff are you reading into this yeah there's, there's a little bit of social justice Many skill things here and there. They're not detracting me from storytelling in any way. But you read at it, I'm like, yeah, this is the real course. If whatever we see on screen is dessert, this is the big deal. This is for adults. This is the big lamb chop that I was waiting for. You know? Yeah, it's a very good way of putting it. And I would agree because yeah, I've read been, I've read all the High Republic stuff, and it's it's bloody brilliant. It's exactly what we want from Star Wars. So then, guys, I mean, thank you so much for joining me. Um, or joining me, it makes it sound like it's all about me. Um, I wasn't planning <laughs> on being the host for every episode, but it seems like it might go that way. Um, but bef- I-, I will get you guys to say um where people can find you and stuff or hang up. But I want to clarify here before I forget. I'll stop the recording, and I want to just quickly check when you guys are available afterwards. So don't zoom off. But um let's go ben do you want to go first and say uh where people can find you i'll put links in the show notes and stuff but you sort of final goodbye to the lovely listeners sure guys thanks for having me it's a pleasure to talk to three gentlemen mike scott jack was a nice to hear your thoughts guy guys it's i I always appreciate with somebody who comes from a completely different worldview opinion a set of interests and things that they like it's uh, that's what star wars fandom is all about you guys could find me at star wars timeline the youtube channel we have the same facebook group which i started in an effort to bring fans together and be able to say i like or i dislike without just chopping each other's heads off you know that's what i'm about thank you once again for having me and i'm in that group as well so if anyone wants that if anyone wants me in there as well me and ben to chat you about star wars (laughs) on facebook (laughs) go ahead and do that okay then uh so jack do you want to give people your information yeah sure that's a great goal but i love the idea of like you just you know let's try and stop it being so polar and let's get people to you know we've done it today we've not agreed on everything and that's fine that's absolutely okay um, yeah, I'm on Twitter mostly. I am Jack's Musings, that's J-A-C-S. And then I'm part of the Comics Emotion family. And um, our new little side project is the Pop Grillers, which is good fun. At the moment, we're doing box office bombs in, across the whole of January. So looking at films that tanked and whether we think they should have done or not. 
Yeah, we need to have words. We need to have words. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> and also, I would add in there, Pop Gorillas, if you guys haven't checked that out, it's got its own feed as well. It's also on Comics of Motion. But Jack, say the say the elevator pitch that you always say. That I, I don't want to spoil it. Say it. Yeah, uh, we review anything from pop culture in less time than it takes to listen to a song. And they're spoiler free. So no we excuse to not listen. Free. I normally just wait till loads have come out and then I'll just do say. the dishes and just listen to loads of them. It's it's delightful. Love it. Um cool then Scott, tell people where people tell everyone where people can find you. Yeah, uh, mostly on uh Twitter. You can find me uh, at twentieth century geek. Uh and also the podcast twentieth century geek is on all those podcasting platforms. Uh, and all that kind of thing. I'm also on Stories at a Time of Space, uh, myself and the fantastic Julian Darius. And we're on Twitter as at Pod Time Space. And that's just the sci fi movie review podcast. Mm-hmm. And you got a new member to that recently, haven't you? An extraterrestrial friend. We have, mm-hmm. yeah. Tilleran Lem, uh, our new supervisor, <laughs> is coming on. And uh, yeah, um, he's, uh, he's working as hard uh, for the next season. Uh, yeah, about to start doing Doctor Who, which I'm quite excited about. Very nice, very nice. Well, I'll make sure I include uh, links to all of you guys' uh, socials and relevant shows in the show notes and whatnot. And I've been the host, Mike Burton. You can find me. I've got my podcast, which is on this feed of Comics in Motion, which is Star Wars Comics and Canon. Now, new episodes out every Saturday. And whether you've li- whether you've read every Star Wars comic ever or you've never read any of them, you can check out my show. I'll go through plot details and the many connections and characters and species and that sort of stuff as well. And there's my other show, Genuine Chit Chat, uh, where I have honest conversations with interesting people and all three guests today have been on the show at different times. Ben was the last show of 2021, and we had a fantastic conversation about Russian culture and animation. That and was we spoke fun. about modern mythology, and we, of course, spoke about Jude and Star Wars, because why not? So please check those things out. It is a lot of uh, fun there. And you can find me on social media at Genuine Chits Chat, Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. So, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I'll be back probably next week with a more myriad of individuals. But don't fret. I will be inviting these guys back because we've got five more weeks to do. Mm -hmm. And so I I need some support for that. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for tuning in, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks Thank you, guys. Thanks, mate. Take care.